Hello, and welcome to the Commander Theory Podcast. I'm Nick Beatman, and I'm here with my friend, Zach Mack. Hello, theorists. So today we are wrapping up our coverage of Modern Horizons 2 spoilers. We've got a a last couple of legendary creatures. We've got some new main deck cards that we think will make a splash in Commander. So I think we're just going to jump right into it. But before we do that, I want to briefly talk about our Patreon. If you head on over to patreon.com slash commandertheory, you can support the show and get sweet benefits for as little as $1 a month. If you aren't ready to be a patron yet, you can help us out by rating or reviewing us wherever you get your podcasts. All right, uh, before we jump into the new cards, I just want to circle back on something I said in our last episode, uh, which is uh, I was going to do a little bit more research on Step Through, the wizard cycling card that was spoiled last week, mm-hmm. and uh, see if there were any one-card combos with Step Through, and there is actually. So step through again is three blue blue for a sorcery return two target creatures to their owner's hands and has wizard cycling for two generic mana. The combo here and it requires an insane amount of mana, so it's something <laughs> you're probably going to have to break up over multiple turns. Um, but you can cycle step through to get Archaeomancer, which you know is a wizard that enters the battlefield and returns an instant or sorcery from your graveyard to your hand. Cast the Archaeomancer, get back your step through. Uh, cycle your step through to go get Miss Meadow Witch, which has one and hybrid blue-white for a 1-1 Pithkin Wizard, uh, two white-blue blink target creature, essentially. So cast your Miss Meadow Witch, use it on your Archaeomancer, get back your step through, uh, and then cycle that step through to get a Spellseeker. <laughs> Spellseeker <laughs> is two and a blue for a 1-1. When it enters the battlefield, search your library for an insert sorcery card with mana value two or less put in your hand so with your spell seeker you're going to get mystical tutor mystical tutor is going to put time warp on top of your library and then you've assembled a infinite turn combo with miss meadow witch archaeomancer and time warp so again going to take an insane amount of mana to do that but it is possible (laughs) to win the game solely off of step through and enough mana yeah congrats everyone we did it. I think that's just one line too. Like, you're, there's going to be games where you like top deck a step through, and you have like some board slash graveyard, and you're going to go, okay, well, if I archaeomancer back this spell, then and it's just going to be awesome for you. And uh, I love that. That's cool. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, with that out of the way, we can finally jump into the new cards this week. Uh, we're going to start with the legendary creatures, as always. So what's the first legend we're going to be talking about? So the first one is a mono-red one. We're going straight to red, and it is a character people have been asking about since the uh, the set that their name appeared in. This is Captain Ripley Vance uh, of Vance's Blasting Station. Um, so they are a 3-2 legendary creature human pirate. They cost 3 mana, 2 and a red. And they have, whenever you cast your third spell each turn, put a plus one, plus one counter on Captain Ripley Vance. Then it deals damage equal to its power to any target. So, I mean, I actually like this. I think this is a really interesting way to take red as they've been making red more and more like the combo color in EDH, like giving mm-hmm. it fast mana at the expense of like cards and or like looting and stuff like that. So I, I actually think this is pretty cool even if it probably isn't going to happen too often (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, I think it's pretty neat I think it shouldn't be too hard to pull off Um, 
I mean, maybe not every single turn, but if you use like reds, rummaging spells and cantrips, uh, you can at least prevent yourself from going down on cards as you're moving towards this this trigger. Uh, and then one thing that works really well is pump spells. So if you sort of pump up Ripley Vance as you're doing this, then the the damage you're dealing off the trigger is significant. Uh, and just it's not only like a good way to control the board, but it can also like just you know dome your opponent for like 10 damage if you go like brute force bloodlust and then like any other spell yeah so i i think it's pretty powerful again like um i think you are right that consistency might be a little bit of an issue i don't think you're going to be able to do this every turn um but there are a couple ways you can sort of uh help yourself get to the um that third spell trigger so like, you know, there's Gitu Fire Breathing or Crown of Flames. Those are cheap auras that can bounce themselves to your hand. Um, there's also Grinning Ignis is a great card for this deck because it's just basically a single red mana uh, to increase your storm count by one. So the, the tricky part is going to be like finding those cards in a color that's not very good at tutoring. Yeah. But, <laughs> um, but I think this is like an interesting commander. It's... Uh, Certainly a, a slightly different take on the the storm archetype than like the just you know combo with food chain ones that we've seen in previous weeks of Modern Horizons two spoilers. Yeah, I also want to say that like red is becoming increasingly the color of like you. It's not that you go off every turn or make it happen every turn, but like you have your like your big turn, right? But with that, I. Th- I think that's all we have to say on Ripley Vance. Uh, do you mm-hmm. mind if I read off this next one? No, that's great. All right. Uh, the final legendary creature we're going to be talk- talking about from Modern Horizons 2 is Sithis Harvest's Hand. Green and a white for a 1-2 legendary enchantment creature nymph. Whenever you cast an enchantment spell, you gain one life and draw a card. Um, so it's it's kind of funny that uh, they they finally settled on this design. You know, this is kind of like the Enchantress Commander design that people have been asking for for years and years and years. Um, yeah. So it's it's interesting that we're finally seeing it in such like, you know, this simple form. I know. But I, I think this is a really great commander. My plan is basically just to port over my um, existing Enchantress list because this is, you know, it's such a cheap commander. Unlike Tuvasa, it triggers as many times as you want. So, like, Tuvasa kind of incentivized, you know, casting one big enchantment, but that didn't really synergize with what an enchantress deck, the the play style that that deck kind of prefers. Yeah. Because there's there's so many, like, acceleration enchantments, so it is really easy to just, like, chain, you know, well, I'll play an exploration, and then I play an extra land, and then I play a wild growth, and then I play a utopia sprawl, and, like, you know, you're kind of being mana neutral while you're drawing your cards. And unfortunately, that just didn't work well with Tuvasa. And I found myself like often just not casting Tuvasa that much because like the the single card per turn wasn't that great of an incentive. Yeah, I, yeah, I was going to say it seemed like there's just always something better to do. Yeah, whereas Sithis is not only an enchantment that will trigger your other enchantress creatures, but, you know, you're just going to get a whole bunch of, of cards over the course of a turn. Um, so I think this is a great commander. Definitely would recommend using this over a lot of the existing Enchantress options. 
and it's also good in the main deck of like a um like a kestia deck i would definitely run it in there oh yeah that's really cool uh, yeah I, I actually feel like just the fact that this is an enchantress that draws a card when you cast it with your other enchantresses means that like we're probably just gonna see her in the main deck of other builds of enchantress list too you know like i have no doubt that like people are gonna put this in their estrid lists that are enchantress you know like i i I think it's pretty likely that she just is a staple for that archetype from now on yeah i'm definitely going to pick up a couple copies of this one with that i think we can get into main deck cards sure uh what's the first card we're going to be talking about so this first card is blacksmith's skill this is a one mana instant it's just a white mana it has target permanent gains hexproof and indestructible until end of turn if it's an artifact creature it gets plus two plus two until end of turn uh where would you play this well, I think this makes a lot of sense in Feather, you know. It's not only an indestructible grantor, but it also gives it hexproof to protect against other types of removal, uh, like exile removal or, or whatever. So that makes a lot of sense to me. And then maybe in Mono White uh, as like a, a pseudo counterspell against spot removal, sort of, sort of like another copy of Rebuff the Wicked, maybe. Oh, yeah. It also targets any permanent, so you can not only protect your creatures, but also protect uh, other types of cards against like, you know, artifact removal and chamber removal. So really it just looks like, like I said, like another copy of rebuff the wicked. So it's interesting. And it also like has a little bit of added utility against like board wipes. You can save your commander or whatever. So that's kind of where I'm thinking of for it. Yeah. I am personally very excited to play this in my own feather list. There's a lot of one mana spells that, either give protection or give like hexproof or give indestructible. So kind of having both of them on one card is actually pretty awesome (laughs) for that Mm -hmm. list because it doesn't matter if they have a board wipe or a single target removal. You're like, well, this probably covers it. So that's pretty fun. And I mean, Mavinda is the only other place I would play this if if you are someone who is really trying to make that work. Yeah. Um I just want you to know that I love you and you're great and amazing and you are valid. Yeah, you exactly. And I think we should move on to the next card. All right. Uh, next card is Nykthos Paragon. It is 4 white white for a 4/6 enchantment creature human soldier. Whenever you gain life, you may put that many plus one plus one counters on each creature you control. Do this only once each turn. So that once each turn thing is clearly to stop it from comboing. Because um, there's a lot of combos out there with um, Archangel of Thune, like that, plus, say, like a Spike Feeder is just, oh, I get infinite life and infinite counters on all my guys. But even with that kind of nerf on there, I think there there are decks that are going to be interested in this card. Uh, like, if your deck is heavy on um, Soul Sisters and you're able to trigger it, like, multiple times in a round of turns, like, the potential to get four plus one plus one counters on all of your guys within one round of turns is pretty uh, attractive. I, I think this could be a good card in, in those types of lists. I really like this card because something that they've always said about white that hasn't always been true. There there have been white cards that try to reward you for gaining a bunch of life at once, but they have been, they, they've been bad. <laughs> mm-hmm. If you look at how they've rewarded gaining life in the most popular, like quote life gain commanders, 
it's like uh, Karlov who wants you to gain multiple life like over multiple sources. It's like that angel that you gain an extra life every time you gain a life. Like that's not very impressive if you attack for four with lifelink and gain five life, but it is impressive if your soul sisters give you a combined like three to four extra life in that turn. One of the best life gain rewards is Archangel of Thune, right? And and what does that reward you for? Gaining little bits of life multiple times <laughs> to make your board just huge. So I am very happy to see them put something like this in this set and hopefully going forward because even though there are cards uh, that reward like uh, a Cradle of Vitality, I think is one of them, where like you can pay one in a white to put counters on a creature when you gain life. It's not that good. It's like targets one creature. If I got the card wrong, please yell at me on the internet. Um, so just, yeah, more of this. Give me give me a reward for just like spending a turn gaining like 12 plus life. That just seems like a ton of fun and something that they've just been really like resistant to printing. So yeah, just very excited. All right. Uh, can I read off this next one? Oh, please do. This is Resurgent Belief. It has no mana cost. It's got a white color indicator. It's a sorcery. It has suspend for two and, well, two counters and one and a white is the cost. What it does is return all enchantment cards from your graveyard to the battlefield, auras with nothing to enchant remain in your graveyard. Uh, so this is basically a replenish, but made into part of the, the, the cycle throughout this set of cards that you can't cast, but which you can suspend. What are your thoughts on Resurgent Belief? So I think that this is a really cool card. I like this cycle that they printed of like old cards that were powerful with suspend. So I think that's cool. The problem I have with this card is like it there's not really a time when I'm gonna like want to just suspend this. And and to be fair, suspend two is more reasonable than some of the other ones that we like are seeing in the set but even that is sometimes a half an hour away from resolving you know like in actual gameplay time just because turns take forever so th- this is I'd, i want to cast this reliably and i don't necessarily know <laughs> <laughs> like where i would do that because there aren't a lot of white decks that like cascade effectively and there aren't a lot of white decks that cascade effectively and also have a bunch of enchantments in their graveyard. So I, even though I like the card a lot, I just don't know where I'm putting it. Yeah, I think this is a, a bad choice for yeah. this cycle. Because <laughs> uh, kind of the way I view this cycle is like, for the most part, they're all just like generally powerful effects. Like one of them is a soul ring. One of them is a demonic tutor. One of them is a bribery. One of them is a Yawgmoth's will. Um, they're all just things that are you're kind of like happy to do in most decks. And so like really it's just it kind of almost doesn't matter what they do. It just like gives you some kind of useful resource. And what makes it a narrow card is like very few decks in the format are able to cast it without going the suspend route. And so it's like a boost to archetypes that cascade. So like the first sliver or Yidris, pretty much. And that's fine. That you know, it it's still like, even though they're generally powerful things, they're still making the format more diverse by um supporting these these narrow decks rather than going into every deck. But like Resurgent Belief 
it's it's just narrow on top of narrow and as you said i don't think there are decks that can both like cheat the mana cost and naturally want to run a ton of enchantments so yeah i I don't think it's a great choice for this cycle yeah this is definitely one of the cards where i think they're trying to build an archetype in modern itself and that means that we aren't getting a commander card (laughs) (laughs) and you know what that's fine they can't all be zingers i don't know it's it's strange though like are you going to be in modern are you going to be like cascading into this and if so why would you rather do that than like living end where there's like a million creatures with cycling that you can just cheat in off of living end um i mean that's a good question (laughs) (laughs) i don't know yet um i i mean they're they're very obviously with the set trying to push some new archetypes in a modern uh like obviously uh enchantress is one of them (laughs) as we just talked about so i'm wondering if like in a more like a soon to come out set if there's gonna be some kind of reward for this or something like that like uh maybe like a starfield of nyx or something like i don't know like some something like that um maybe there'll be some reason to do this in modern but uh i think like they're just putting down a cornerstone right now and this is all conjecture there's no reason for me to believe this at this point in time my cynical take is just that like for every other color, it was pretty easy to think of like what's just like a generally powerful card that you know we probably wouldn't print in a modern in a you know in a normal release, but which you know people might still be interested in doing if they have to suspend it. And they were able to easily think of like oh warp world oh soul ring oh demonic tutor, but like white just doesn't have. <laughs> that many generally powerful useful effects um i mean that's true i actually think this would have been a really sexy opportunity to do a riff on divine intervention um oh yeah that, i mean i think actually that's totally true but maybe that's like just not something they wanted to exist like to give the living index the options of win the first game and then cascade in to tie the game over and over <laughs> yeah um, doesn't anyway. doesn't seem like uh something a, a judge would be super happy to, to facilitate, probably not you know? yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, that is pretty funny though i would like that all right uh moving on to the next card you want to read this one sure so this is search the premises this is an enchantment it's white it costs four mana, three and a white. Whenever a creature attacks you or a planeswalker you control, investigate. So, yeah, how do you how do you feel about this? Uh, I'm gonna quote somebody else who, because um, the when I I looked at this, um, the first thing that came to mind is ever watching threshold. Um, so that is a card that was previously printed in Commander 2018, and it's an enchantment, two and a blue. Uh, whenever an opponent attacks you and or a planeswalker you control with one or more creatures draw a card so you can sort of see the similarity it's definitely like a rattlesnake uh, pillow 40 like don't attack me or i'm going to get benefit Um, and i don't personally have experience with that card but i can tell you that it does not see a lot of play on the hrec yeah no that's true (laughs) and actually another content creator was apparently had some experience with it so i want to just read off what they said 
Um, so Magical Hacker on Twitter says that like he's used Everwatching Threshold for card draw, and it just doesn't work that way. It just says, don't attack this player unless it's lethal or unless you have a naturalize. And that's kind of how I view a lot of pillow fort effects. So that kind of aligns with how I uh, how I look at the card naturally. Yeah. Um, and he kind of like applied the same logic to search the premises is just going to do the same thing. Like it will temporarily divert attacks from you uh, until they find a naturalize. And, and once that happens, it's all coming at you. So this is not white card draw. This is just like another white ghostly prison type effect. This is you're not actually going to draw cards off of this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the only instance I could think of that kind of goes counter to that is if you're playing this in like a super friends list, because then there's like a necessity to attack you, even if you don't have the naturalize for it, because um, mm-hmm. super friends are just going to keep ticking up unless you do something about it. But I was trying to think of like, there's probably just better things to run <laughs> in like an actual like white super friends list. But mm-hmm. um, that is the only place I would think that I would end up like investigating a decent amount. Yeah, but that's the thing. Like if you're running super friends, are you, you know, and you have a limited number of card slots in your deck. Do you think Search the Premises is going to perform better for you than like Wrath of God or, or like a Mystic Barrier or something like that? Yeah, no, I, I mean, I that's that's kind of also the point is like I I don't think it's better than those ones. <laughs> like, yeah, I would think that it might be something that you play as like a budget option, but if you're playing Super Friends and you're playing multiple color Super Friends. Planeswalkers tend to be expensive and the cards that support them tend to be expensive. So usually budget's not like a crazy concern as long as the card's not like 50 something dollars. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's it's kind of just in a weird place. I just don't think it's doing enough. I'm going to read off this next card. It is Thrabian Watcher, a 2-2 angel with flying and vigilance for four mana, two white white. It has other non-token creatures you control get plus one plus one and have vigilance. Uh, so this is this is a reference to always watching. <laughs> mm-hmm. And how do you feel about it? Uh, I think that this is um, to me. This looks like it might be a card for like non uh, non Kalia Angel Tribal lists because like. Angel Tribal has trouble filling out the lower parts of its curve. Like, there's just so many angels that cost five or more. So, the fact that this costs four, uh, the fact that it, like, you know, go wide or Angel Tribal is probably going to be a go wide list. So, it pumps the other guys. Vigilance is useful. Maybe if you're running Lyra Dawnbringer, this could be uh, something to consider including. Yeah. So, I was going to bring up Angelic Field Marshal as, like, the closest, like, comparison to this card because i think you're right i think that's pretty much the only place that is going to really want this card and arguably this card is better than angelic field marshal in most lists so angelic field marshal is a 3-3 flying angel for four mana same same cost uh, and it has lieutenant so as long as you control your commander angelic field marshal becomes a 5-5 and creatures you control have vigilance hmm. so this card is expensive now it's like 10 bucks which is just blows my mind but it's also just not 
played, which also kind of like blows my mind that it's as much money <laughs> as it is. It's in like <laughs> fifteen hundred decks on EDH rec. Um, it's not very good. Like giving your team vigilance is very good. I I've really come around to see like how strong vigilance is in a multiplayer format, but. Like the four mana that can be doombladed to give your team vigilance, and like you have to have your commander, it just like never plays out the way you want. So the fact that that card sees so little play, and the fact that this card has the like non-token restriction, much like um, always watching did, I, I really do think that this is mostly just for Angel Tribal. Um, yeah, and, I yeah. I had totally forgotten about Angelic Field Marshals, so thanks for bringing that up. And just sort of looking at the decks that is played in, according to EDH rec, kind of confirms what I was saying. Because uh, so Angelic Field Marshal sees play in fifty eight percent of Lyra Dawnbringer decks, and then pretty much nowhere else. So, <laughs> I, <laughs> so I guess my instincts were right there. Run through Ribbon Watcher in your Lyra deck, and then otherwise don't play this card. Yeah, yeah. If you like are really cool and have a Safara Sky's Blade list, hell yeah. That's that's great too, but yeah, this is just it does it doesn't really have a nice wide swath of places that this is good. So mm-hmm. that's that's you know it is what it is. Um, speaking of it is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> do you want? Uh, should I read this or do you want to read this one? I can read this off. This is inevitable betrayal. It's a sorcery. It has a blue color indicator. It has no mana cost, and it has to spend three for one blue blue. Uh, so you can pay one blue blue and exile it with three time counters and it has to spend. So search target opponent's library for a creature card and put that card onto the battlefield under your control. Then that player shuffles. Uh, so as I mentioned earlier, this is just kind of like a generally useful effect. Bribery is a very good card. He's playing a lot of lists. As I mentioned earlier, like the first sliver and Yidris are the only decks I can really think of that can cheat this effectively. And Mm -hmm. so I think that's probably where you would consider running it and then probably nowhere else. Yeah, like this one in particular, because bribery is like such a strong card and it's so expensive nowadays that I was thinking that this might just be played by people. People might force this. And then I was just looking at like the other just really strong cascade cards that don't have mana that can just win you the game or just provide a lot of value like... um. So I, I looked up like Wheel of Fate and people are not just running that to run it. So that kind of instinct of mine was wrong and I put it in check now. <laughs> so I do think you're right. I think the people are only really going to play this if they have a way to cast it when they want and not just suspend it and hope for the best, even though bribery can just like win you the game in the right meta. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's that's whatever. Um, I got to say, it'd be really neat if... Um... There was like a Yenet, but for even spells, just to give yeah. you another way to cast your spells with no mana cost. I, I actually am of the opinion, like when Yenet came out, um, and then even now, I think more seeing these suspend cards, I think the reason Yenet is odd is because they didn't want people to just do that. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think that was one of the big things about Yenet. So, um, yeah, I don't know if they'll ever they'll do that. I think they're too scared of the, the, the sick, nasty value, you know? But yeah, do you want to move on to some black cards? Sure. 
Uh, this first one is Archon of Cruelty. It is six black black for a six six creature Archon with flying, and when it enters the battlefield or attacks, target opponent sacrifices a creature or planeswalker, discards a card, and loses three life. You draw a card and gain three life. What are your thoughts on this card? Where do you think it might be good? Yeah, so this is, I mean, to to come out first to say this is a reward for modern reanimator. This is a non-legendary card that they're printing. It targets a single opponent. They're they're really trying to signal that like we want you to reanimate this in a game of modern. <laughs> mm-hmm. And what that means is that it's not that good in commander. It's not bad. It's an eight eight. It's an eight mana, huge, flying creature that gives you a ton of value if it gets to attack. But <laughs> but um, it's just not super crazy good. So you're really gonna only want to play it in decks that can kind of cheat it out. So like Teneb the Harvester has a reanimation trigger. When Teneb hits an opponent, you can play two in a black to reanimate a creature from any graveyard. But this might be one of the better ones uh, if you're playing that list. Rakdos 2.0 can make this as little as two mana, just two black for this, which is that that's pretty. I'd pay two black for a six six flyer with that trigger, you know. Mm-hmm. So ways to cheat it out. I was trying to think of other commanders that sneak attack because that would be a great place for this too. Just not only do you get the ETB, you also get the attack in the same turn. But um, yeah, it's just uh, if you can cheat it, it's probably fine. And if you can't cheat it, you might want to skip it. Yeah, if if you're I, I would just never hard cast this card like at eight mana, especially in black here. It's up against like Cabal Conditioning, Neogen of Night's Reach, Ugin. Um, there's just so many things at the same or similar mana cost that like really change the flow of the game that can potentially like knock players out. And for this to like kind of three for one somebody and then maybe like trade with a removal spell. That's not really how you're gonna win a game of commander. I'll put it that way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Even though it's a three for one, it's still one player and you're gonna have some more players to to dunk on. So um there's probably just better things to play. Um Speaking of probably better things to play, (laughs) this next card is called Break the Ice. It is a sorcery. It costs black black. It has destroy target land that is snow or could produce colorless. And you can overload it for four black black. So destroy each land that is snow or could produce colorless. (laughs) This is a new format staple, right? We're going to break all the ice. Yeah. I'd say that I definitely haven't seen like as much adoption of snow-covered lands following call time as as you might expect. Yeah, for most people, like the the minor benefit of getting to run like Graven Lore or or just like one or two cards is not worth the trouble of like tracking down attractive snow-covered lands. And so most people aren't doing a snow list unless it interacts with their commander somehow. So that would be like. Jorn or or maybe Yorn, uh, Narfi, you know, mono brown lists are of course going to be running almost entirely lands that tap for colorless. So really, it's it's a very very narrow slice of the meta game that gets hit by this, and so I don't think it's worth running. Yeah, or if you uh, play against Dana Roach, you're probably going to destroy his mana base. So that's a um, I'm sorry, so sorry, Dana, if you're listening to this, please. 
please run more <laughs> non-utility <laughs> lands. They're going to get you. They're going to break that ice. I guess I guess let's get on to this next one cuz this next card is there's a lot to say about it, I guess. Yeah. Uh this is Dothy Voidwalker. It is black black for a 3/2 creature, Dothy Rogue. It has shadow. If it also has if a card would be put into an opponent's graveyard from anywhere, instead exile it with a void counter on it. And it has tap, sacrifice Dothy Voidwalker, choose an exiled card an opponent owns with a void counter on it. You may play it this turn without paying its mana cost. What are your thoughts on this card? <laughs> I have a lot of thoughts on this card. I mean, I, I think that like a ley line of the void on a guy for two mana is probably worth it. I think that people would have played that card, maybe not in like super high numbers, but still would have played it. They but they kept putting stuff on him. <laughs> like they kept they kept giving him things. Like not only is it a two two for Two, he's a three two for two. Uh, also, now he has shadow. Also, now he has this like sack ability, and he's a really cheap guy. So not only do your black abilities bring him back, but your white abilities can bring him back too. And it, it, he hits so many axes that I really cannot imagine this guy like not seeing play. Even though I think for most decks, especially decks that can't reanimate him, there's probably a better option for you. He just has the same problem as Leyline of the Void, where it doesn't answer what was there. You're going to have to figure out how to answer that. But he just makes it so that like, if someone's trying to combo off, they have to go, hmm, I have to answer this, and then I can do what I was trying to do. And sometimes that's enough to just pull ahead of them and be able to to clench it from there. But um, yeah, this guy, there's just a lot of words on this card, mm-hmm. <laughs> on this two drop. Yeah, I think there's uh, a lot of lists this is going to go well in. Like in Anawan the Ruin Thief, the rogue tribal commander, uh, it's worth noting that this doesn't turn off Anawan. So even though it's exiling as a replacement effect, you still get to draw your cards off of Anawan. Uh, and it's like, you know, an evasive rogue with a pretty good power to cost ratio uh, that gets additional value as you're milling your opponent. So easy fit in that deck. And then also. Maybe in like some sort of blue-black mill list, I'm thinking like Phoenix, God of Deception, that this is just a great way to like A, make sure you're not enabling your opponents by milling them, like if they have graveyard synergies, that kind of thing. Uh, but also like it's kind of just like a suspended or, or like a seal of memory plunder. Or actually, well, even better than that, really, because it gets permanence as well. This is a very good card uh, if you're like <laughs> milling your opponent for a bunch of things. And then maybe in like um, Turgrid, God of Fright, because like all the things that synergize with Dothy Voidwalker, like, you know, making your opponents discard, um, killing things, those are also things that you're just naturally going to be running in a Turgrid list. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. It's just, there's, it does so much. For two mana, it does so much. Yeah, very, very interesting, appealing card. And it's, Probably going to be hard to get a hold of these. Um, I know, yeah. Who would have known when I was like, I want to see what the Douthy Rogue does in like the first Modern Horizons episode that we were talking about this set. I was like, who would have known that this is the... <laughs> oh, I know. <laughs> thing I, was, been. I saw I, I saw that like clue on Morrow's teaser and I was thinking like, oh, it'll probably be like, you know, one black for a 1-1 one, one shadow yeah. rogue. And I'm like, oh, that's, that's probably pretty good in Anawan. And I just had no idea it was going to be this pushed. 
I know, yeah. I just expected like a limited filler, like something that makes an archetype in limited work and did not expect uh, a chase rare. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's cool, I guess. All right. Are you ready to move on to the next card? Yeah. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Uh, this is Magus of the Bridge. Black, black, black for a 4-4 four, four creature human wizard. Whenever a non-token creature is put into your graveyard from the battlefield, create a 2-2 two, two black zombie creature token. And whenever a creature is put into an opponent's graveyard from the battlefield, exile Magus the Bridge. So this is clearly a riff on Bridge from Below. Um, And I think it serves a similar role to Open the Graves, which is three black black enchantment. Uh, Whenever a non-token creature you control dies, create a 2-2 black zombie. So very similar in that respect, although it's got this this big downside where it will kill itself if uh, an opponent's creature ever dies. So I think you got to be running it in a list with a lot of sack outlets and preferably with recursion as well so that you can kind of dodge the exile and like sacrifice itself before it gets exiled uh, and then maybe bring it back later. But mm-hmm. what do you think about this card in general? No, I, I completely agree with that. I think that Open the Graves is a really cool card, but it costs five mana. This does not cost five mana. <laughs> and... Open the Graves is a card that I've played in decks with lots of sack outlets. Uh, so the downside of this guy really is kind of negligible in that instance, even if you just have like a, a high market or Phyrexian Tower that you keep up just in case. This looks like this is one of the coolest Ayara cards since Ayara was printed like two years ago. Um, not only is it three black pips for all your like devotion cards that that deck usually runs, it's making black creatures she is a sack outlet for him like oh, nice yeah it's it's like perfect it's the perfect card <laughs> <laughs> and then she when you're not worried about him dying to some other creature like she generates tokens by sacking other things to draw cards and then you get to drain and get another token that you can sack and it just it seems perfect for that list in particular. And I know there's more lists where this is gonna be good too. I have a white black list that this is probably gonna be pretty nice in. So there's uh a lot of goodness here, a lot of value to be had on a three mana creature if you can manage the three black pips. Um my my one gripe is really superficial and other people on the internet have have mentioned it, so I'm not really gonna go into it here, but this this seems a lot more like Magus of Open the Graves than it does like Magus of the Bridge to me. Um, oh, sure. Just because it like it's not in your graveyard. <laughs> you don't have to <laughs> mill this to make it work. So that's whatever. That's like such a minor complaint for a card that I'm going to happily play in a bunch of black decks. Mm-hmm. That's a good point, though. Uh, moving on to the next card. This is Necrogoyf. Three black black for a star four Lurgoyf. Uh, its power is equal to the number of creature cards in all graveyards. At the at the beginning of each player's upkeep, that player discards a card, and it has madness for one black black. Uh, where do you think this might see play? Yeah, this is well. <laughs> so obligatory, it has madness, so it's going to be played in Angie Falconrath. Like I think we can all agree on that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, the other one that uh, I think you mentioned that I, I totally agree with is uh, in Rankle, like Master of Pranks. It fits that deck so well. You're mono black, you're drawing cards and discarding cards and making everyone sack creatures. So 
it's going to be really easy to madness this out and it's going to be pretty big when you do. So I think that's a great place for this. And now I, I feel like Angie obviously is the, oh, it's a madness card that goes in here, but I think Asmore is um, also going to be one of those decks. Um, mm-hmm. I think people are going to play that list. I mean, this is conjecture, but I think people are going to play that list as like um, being able to cast madness spells that Angie kind of just disincentivizes you from playing. Like she just really wants you to just pitch them all. But I think Asmore is like, pitch a card. And people are like, what do I do next? And she goes, I don't know. So they're just going to cast the madness card. <laughs> Um, so that's, that's kind of my prediction on where I think we're going to end up seeing this card, but I I don't know if you have any other, any other ideas. No, that makes perfect sense to me. Um, yeah, I think there's definitely a couple decks that want madness and then no other deck would be interested in them. And I I think (laughs) we've hit upon all the cards that might, all all the places that Necrogoyf might fit into the format. Mm -hmm. And I, and I do want to say that I was going to try and just say Asmore's full name, but then I got scared, so uh, you can call me a coward uh, after we post this online. Yeah, and we've done it once. We've, you're, we're both on the record as saying Asmore's full name, and you can go back and listen to the last episode if you want to hear it again. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, or or just like bug us uh, some other time. <laughs> just not, not now, man. Come on, come on. But I think, do you want to talk about the last black card for the day? Sure. Uh, this is Vile and Tumor. It is two black black for a 2-2 creature zombie warlock. It has death touch, and when it enters the battlefield, search your library for a card, put that card into your graveyard, then shuffle. Um, so looking at this card, it, it looks a lot to me like Gravebreaker Lamia. Um, and I think that this fits into a lot of the same decks that the Lamia is run in. So that's like um, again, the the like goblin welder for enchantments um muldrotha the grave tide uh chainer 2.0 so red black chainer um Cathril, which is the the thing that can reanimate permanence from your graveyard from c20 and then around me the dread tide um like those are i think the main places that this fits into uh it, it gets a little bit of additional value by being a zombie i think there's some lists where that can be relevant like maybe 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 in Verena you could run this and get your um some of your uh zombies that you can play out of the graveyard yeah i i think um this is i had to remember the name of the card okay no so i think one of the things too is like the fact that this is a zombie means it's pretty good in your zombie tribal list and just another way to get like a grave crawler in the graveyard Mm-hmm. is that's pretty good um so i am pretty high on this i'm actually higher on this card than i was on Gravebreaker lamia because that that card is kind of underperformed for me after playing with it a lot um where this is like a little bit cheaper it has death touch so it's kind of like a rattlesnake but it already kind of did the thing you wanted it to do it has better and, creature type and it's a yeah better creature type so i i'm i'm pretty high on violent tumor simply because i think it compares pretty favorably to Gravebreaker lamia Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel the same way. Uh, you want to read off this next card? Or rather, yes. these, these next cards? These next cards, yes. Yeah, so this is a split card. There's a few of them in the set. And uh, I actually am pretty excited about them. <laughs> like, in general, I, I uh, 
I'll just read this and you can be the judge at home. This is Fast and Furious. So Fast is a three mana instant, two and a red. Discard a card, then draw two cards. And then Furious is a sorcery for five mana, three red red. Furious deals three damage to each creature without flying. So, I mean, how do you feel about both of the cards and how do you feel about the cards as a whole <laughs> okay so i think both of these modes are about one more mana than i'm usually willing to pay for the effect but there, i still have a lot to say about these cards i think that like the flexibility makes up for the inefficiency the fact that it can be a wipe for small creatures or just a way to like cycle some cards in your hand that makes it a lot more attractive. I like that they're continuing the trend we saw on Thrilling Discovery, where it's no longer an additional cost to play your rummaging spells that you have to discard a card. It's just like part of the effect. So you can't get two for one by uh, counter spells. That's pretty nice. Um, also, it being an instant is great. So you can like hold up your interaction. And then if nothing else you know, happens, if there's no good targets for your removal or whatever, you can just cast fast at the end of an opponent's turn. I like this. And of course, like, you know, Rill of Possibility is a very good card, Tormenting Voice. I really love all of those red rummaging effects. So even though this is a little bit more expensive than those, I, I like the flexibility and I think it's a good card still. Yeah, I think the thing too that really saves this is that fast is an instant. Mm -hmm. Because if this was a sorcery, I pretty much would never cast it. But the fact that it's even though it's three mana, the fact that it's an instant means that it's like enough utility, enough of the time to where I actually probably will use it. And if ever the situation arises where Furious is good, I'm just going to pop that off. And I cannot, I, I cannot tell you how many times I've looked at a board and gone like, I wish I had a pyroclasm <laughs> <laughs> because every, it's it's not good enough to run most of the time. But every now and then, it's like just what you need so i think it's just enough value to to really get you there and make you feel good about running this in a list yeah uh, i'm definitely going to pick up a couple copies of this i actually am excited about this one <laughs> <laughs> so this is fury this is another of the elemental incarnation cycle fury costs five mana three red red uh, it has double strike it's a three three and it has whenever Fury enters the battlefield, it deals four damage divided as you choose among any number of target creatures and or planeswalkers, and you can evoke it for exile a red card from your hand. And and just a reminder, I'm, I'm pretty sure everyone knows by now because this cycle's been talked about for the last like two weeks, but um, evoke is you cast it, but then you sack it immediately once it hits the battlefield. So mm -hmm. um, does not have flash, so you cannot evoke as an instant, but you could still just like for free deal four to a, some stuff you know and uh i'm 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 kind of i'm there for it you know I'm, i like that yeah this so i initially read it uh and then i was um you know four damage it's not a lot in commander so it's like ah uh, this won't kill a titan and i just kind of like you know wasn't super high on it at first but just like there's there's a lot you can build around here um first off like the four damage being divided means you could potentially like you know ping this mana dork ping this utility creature like kill this commander or whatever like 
that this could potentially net a bunch of cards. Like I could imagine you evoking it and still going up on cards. Yeah. Um, it, it is unfortunate that this doesn't have flash unlike a lot of the other members of the cycle. Um, so you're not going to be as be able to be as reactive with it. It's more like value rather than like prevent me from dying. But there's, there's still some ways you can build around this. Uh, it's, it seems very interesting in Torbran. Like, like Torbran kind of has that issue with like, uh, you need to untap with them so you can do your big thing. But with, with this guy, you can just drop Tor- Torbran on turn four and then evoke it and deal like 12, up to 12 damage by dividing it up. So that's pretty appealing. Uh, also in like Grenzo Havoc Razor, that's the, the Grenzo that has a combat damage. Well, whenever a creature you control deals combat damage to an opponent, you can like either goad a creature or exile the top card of that player's library and you can cast it this turn. So with Fury, what you can kind of do is like, okay, I'll cast Grenzo on turn two, and then like that same turn evoke uh like you can clear out blockers or you can just uh, have a double striker that will help you get your Grenzo triggers. Um so I think that's kind of interesting. And, and also the fact that you're putting it in your graveyard makes it live for things like Felden of the Third Path. Um, mm-hmm. Or maybe even um, Chainer, Red Black Chainer, Chainer 2.0. So like you can evoke it in the early turns to just try to kill a creature or whatever uh, and then reuse it later with your Felden or your Chainer. Yeah. Yeah, it, it works in so many places that I'm pretty excited about it and just the fact that i've been more high on uh flame tongue kavu lately means that this just seems like it, it just plays in so many more spaces and at like kind of worst case scenario does the same thing <laughs> mm-hmm. for one more mana but then it's a three three double strike so i i'm pretty into this card even though it doesn't have flash like the rest of the cycle i think that in Commander, there's just enough places where this is going to be good that I'm going to want to play it. Unlike the next card, which is... Uh, can I read this guy off? Yes, go for it. Yeah, so this is Goblin Trap Runner. So it is a goblin. It's a 4-2 for 4 mana. 3 and a red. Whenever Goblin Trap Runner attacks, flip 3 coins. For each flip you win, create a 1-1 red goblin creature token that's tapped and attacking. Um... <laughs> this guy's a go-getter i don't know how do you feel about this card so the fact that it doesn't have haste the fact that it costs four mana means i'm like less high on it than a lot of other just sort of cheap goblin generators like i think legion warboss and goblin rabble master are both better than this because they like you know they're gonna get creatures the turn they come down so even though the ceiling on this is higher like you could cast this on turn four and then swing and get three guys attacking on turn five that's just like less reliable than you know legion war boss on turn three get a guy immediately get a guy on turn four get a guy on turn five and also like potentially adding counters through um through mentor Mm. yeah i'm not super high on it in that capacity but it does flip a lot of coins for zinder spilt no con so this could potentially like draw you a bunch of cards or be used as a big old pump spell for your Okan. Which, that's cool. I mean, that that is definitely a valid use of this card, you know? I, I think 
other than that, like as a goblin card, this is pretty bad. But as a coin flip card, like that's three flips every turn if you can keep it alive. So that's mm-hmm. cool. And that's really all I want to say about it. This next card is actually more interesting to me if we can get into it. Go for it. Yeah, so this is Revolutionist. This is a 3-3 human wizard for 6 mana, 5 and a red. They have whenever Revolutionist enters the battlefield, return target instant or sorcery card from your graveyard to your hand. And that seems pretty bad, except they have Madness for 3 and a red. You can Madness this in for 4 mana. Do you want to start getting into this? Like, how do you feel about it? So I'd say that like at six mana, this is not good. I If your game plan is to just cast this for six, then probably don't run it. There's just better ways to do the same thing. But at four or less mana, this is this is appealing. You know, if it's an Archaeomancer in red, that that's pretty sexy. I was thinking maybe in like a, if you're doing like a Chainer 2.0, a red-black Chainer deck that is a little bit more value-focused and a little less aggro. Maybe it could fit in there. And of course, like it has Madness, obviously. You're going to put it in Angie Falcon Wrath. And I think... I'm wondering like if it's worth it to... Casting it for six mana is not great, but maybe to cast uh, like a Thrill of Possibility and this in the same turn, is that good enough? Like To get your 3-3, to get a spell back from your graveyard, to draw two cards... Does that seem good enough? I I want to try it because it, I actually think that like in other colors, no, but in mono red, maybe. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, like kind of like I mentioned earlier, mono red is a lot more about like that big turn than it ever used to be. And what this does is like if something happened that kind of messed that up the first time you tried it, what this card lets you do is try it again. <laughs> or like uh, you did a big turn with Captain Vance, you like affected the board pretty big, but now you don't have a lot of stuff going on in hand. Well, you can, at the end of someone's turn, cast fast, discard a card, draw two cards. Uh, Oops, I discarded Revolutionist, like get back a thing, and then you untap with all your mana and a spell that'll help you kind of go off. So I feel like red might just be at a place at this point where it has enough thrill of possibilities to where this is good but i'm gonna just jam it into a bunch of lists and get back to everyone on it. Mm-hmm. so i uh want to know what everyone else thinks too mm-hmm. all right uh moving on to the next card this is tavern scoundrel one and a red for a one three creature human rogue whenever you win a coin flip create two treasure tokens and one tap, sacrifice another permanent, flip a coin. So this is another card that I think goes right into Zinder Spilt and Ocon, or maybe even Usri, the new blue-red Afrit that we talked about a couple weeks ago. Um, And it's also worth noting that this goes infinite with Frenetic Afrit, which Frenetic Afrit basically allows you to flip as many coins as you want if you keep activating it in response to itself. Um, So with these two on the battlefield. I guess I, I guess it's not guaranteed infinite yeah. mana. <laughs> um, odds are odds are you'll get half as much uh, treasures as you activate it, but it's also entirely possible that you can get no treasures off of a, a hun- like activating it a hundred thousand times. Yeah, <laughs> there is there is a chance. 
that you do get screwed over by your tavern scoundrel. But I mean, you 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 should you should know looking at him, you know. Yeah, that, that should be something. No, that is really funny, and um, I think one of my favorite parts about this card. But um, yeah, I I don't really have much more to say about this guy. I think he's really cool, and mm-hmm. it's in the coin flip decks. Yep. Can I read off this next one? Go for it. Yeah, so this is uh, <laughs> this is Chitter Spitter. This is an artifact. It's a green artifact. It costs two and a green. At the beginning of your upkeep, you may sacrifice a token. If you do, put an acorn counter on Chitter Spitter. Squirrels you control get plus one, plus one for each acorn counter on Chitter Spitter. And then it has green tap, create a green squirrel creature token. Um, <laughs> it's like... you. I think like, what deck are we supposed to put this in, Zach? Oh yeah, so I mean, please so enlighten just, me. Yeah, so the obvious, the thing I should say first, the elephant in the room. You put this in your squirrel deck. You put this in your squirrel deck. Your squirrels are big, and um, you have a great time. But just like the, <laughs> the like flavor of this card, where like you throw your squirrels into the, the machine to make your other squirrels <laughs> bigger. It's mm-hmm. like so funny. Like who? Why did they make this? <laughs> like, <laughs> like who is like? What if we had a machine that makes squirrels into acorns that make your squirrels bigger? Like, I don't, I don't get it. It's really funny though. Um, yeah, and card. Th- yeah, and do, do you want to get into the next one? Sure. Uh, this next one is a little bit more broadly applicable. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this is three and a green for a two-two creature elemental. When it enters the battlefield, you may destroy target artifact or enchantment, and it has evoke for one and a green. Um, so this seems like a pretty darn good card. Um, you know, obviously, like Reclamation Sage is kind of the gold standard for uh, these green, you know, creatures that enter the battlefield and kill stuff. But like the next best one after um, after Reclamation Sage you know, is is probably like four or five mana because you're getting into like uh Indrick Stomp Howler, like um Acidic Slime, uh Wickerbow Elder type range. So this is still cheaper than a lot of the alternatives. So if you're looking for another way to um to kill artifacts and enchantments on ETB, this is probably better than than most of the things you could be running. And of course, like the evoke gives you an option to potentially cast it for even cheaper. Um, and there's decks that where like the evoking it is actually going to be a bonus. Like in Marin, it's going to allow you to um, get more experience counters on your Marin and put it in your graveyard for her to recur. Uh, and then in Omnath, Locus of Rage, it's an it's an elemental dying, so that's going to trigger your Omnath and allow you to bolt something at the same time. I'm actually excited about this card i think it fits into enough places and like i'm waiting for the day that i can play risen reef in like an elemental deck that isn't like one of the omnis and that's like this with a risen reef just seems like so much like insane value and I, i love the fact that you can evoke it and again like the set having so many like mix and match mechanics means that like this We'll probably find more homes over the years as, like, you can evoke it for two, like, reanimate it because it has two power, uh, cast it for four if you really need a body or something like that. Like, the fact that it evokes still triggers a lot of the, like, Beast Whisperer and stuff like that. Like, that, it's just so cool. So I'm I'm pretty high on this card. 
Yeah, it's definitely a neat one. Moving on to the next card. This is Sylvan Anthem. It is green, green for an enchantment. Green creatures you control get plus one, plus one. And whenever a green creature enters the battlefield under your control, scry one. What are your thoughts on this card? The card as a whole is 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 okay. You know, I think the Anthem is not the part I'm really excited for. The actual part that I'm really excited for is this scry because like that's just going to give you a lot of value over the course of a game. If you're creating tokens like okay, yeah, cool. They're like your zero one plants are one twos or your your squirrels are two twos now. Like that's that's not nothing, but it it's pretty close to it. Mm-hmm. Um but being able to just find the thing you need next is pretty invaluable, especially in a lot of creature based I guess combo lists. I don't know if you would call like a list like elf ball a combo list or not, but where you're looking for specific things and or just you're like, well, I got enough squirrels, time to find my crater hoof and want to just win that way too, you know? Yeah, I definitely agree with you. You know, plus one plus one bonuses are are not very attractive to me in, in a 40 life format with multiple opponents. We say that a million times. But I also really like the second half of the card. And it looks a lot like Season of Growth, uh, which yeah. was printed in M20. And notably, Season of Growth triggers off of enter- any creature entering the battlefield under your control, uh, whereas this is just green creatures. But there's still a lot of decks that can farm a lot of triggers pretty well. One that comes to mind is a Rasta of the Endless Web. That's whenever an opponent casts an instant sorcery spell, create a 1-2 green spider creature token with reach. So that can potentially get a bunch of spiders and then potentially also let you dig really deep and then as you mentioned some like creature based combos elf bally type decks like goreclaw for example gives a really significant cost reduction so you can kind of storm off a little bit by casting four power creatures for really cheap drawing cards off of beast whisper guardian project the great henge type effects sylvan anthem is going to help you continue to like keep your combo going and prevent you from fizzling off by just giving you a little bit of extra card selection and then there's also like elf bally type lists um marwin the nurturer is often played as like elf ball and this will help you dig through your deck as well and then also if you just have like infinite sacrifice based things going on i'm thinking of like a uh malira deck where you're sacrificing a persist creature and and getting it back over oh, and yeah. over. Um, I'm thinking also of like Grumgully and uh, Renata of Caller of the Hunt or whatever. Mm-hmm. Those are also like persist-based combo decks. And then finally, like Safi, Eric's daughter, like Safi is herself green. So even if, you know, the other creature you're using as part of that sacrifice-based combo isn't green, like Safi will give you what you need to dig through your deck. So you can like Safri and Safi and Karmic Guide or, or however you want to do it. And Sylvan Anthem will just help you to like find your win condition or whatever. Yeah, exactly. I think this just has a lot more places. And uh, I think that highlights the thing that makes me most upset about the card is that like, it, and this is something a lot of people have said, like the, green got a lot of cool stuff in this set because it was pushing into like places that it normally doesn't go. So like the red green archetype is Storm the green black archetype is squirrels and basically like creature tokens and stuff like that. So they ended up printing a lot of green cards that uh, they don't normally print in sets, which normally is really exciting and, and is exciting. Like I, I like 
the green cards that they print it because they're strong and do cool things. But um, this is just something that probably shouldn't have been green. You know, it's just honor the pure, but better. <laughs> yeah. And that uh, that's a little upsetting to people. And I can totally see why. So even though it's a really cool card with a lot of applications, it just seemed kind of tone deaf. Yeah, I feel like this easily could have been a white card. Like scrying is uh, evergreen in all colors. So yeah. like doing something based on creatures a lot of times feels more white because like you're yeah. you're building up an army as opposed to like you know triggering off of one big creature feels more green and i wish they would like work harder to, dif- to differentiate that totally agree with that they said that they're going to try and focus on green as like picking like just big creatures and i know this was finalized before they have said that but i'm really 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 hoping <laughs> that moving forward that is the case would you mind if i read off the next one no that's that's great uh so this is tireless provisioner two and a green for a three two creature elf scout and it has landfall whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control create a food token or a treasure token um so what does this remind you of and how good do you think it'll be <laughs> Yeah, so the the name is a reference to Tireless Tracker, but in function, it's a lot, lot more similar to a Lotus Cobra. Making a treasure on a landfall is... Uh, <laughs> that that does a lot, but it, it does even more than that. It also can make each landfall into a food, which means that if you can have like an infinite landfall combo, you also have infinite life which is uh, something that Lotus Cobra just couldn't ever claim to do, you know? Mm -hmm. So this card is pretty buck wild, even though it's three mana and in uncommon. (laughs) Like, I just am kind of blown away that this is uh, a card that we actually are getting in the set. Yeah, this seems very powerful. Lotus Cobra is in almost 24,000 decks on EDH Rec. so. Even though this is, you know, as we mentioned, a little bit more expensive, there are just like so many landfall lists, and it's so, it's such a powerful effect, even at three, especially given the ability to hoard your treasure for future turns. Like, I have wasted my fair share of Lotus Cobra mana. Um, so the ability to keep that over multiple turns is very, very appealing. I am ready to move on to the next card, though. This next card is Moderation, and it's a it's a weird one. It is an enchantment. It costs one white-blue, so three mana. It has, you can't cast more than one spell each turn. Whenever you cast a spell, draw a card. So, yeah, <laughs> that's Moderation. What, what do you, like, where does this go? What would you say? Well, okay. Not being able to cast more than one spell per turn is a pretty big restriction. Um, But there are lists that are very flash-heavy or which run a lot of instants and can sort of get around that by sort of spreading their spells over their opponent's turns. So if you're playing, like, say, a Wrath Capuchin list that grants all your historic spells flash, then you're able to, like, get this card draw on multiple turns and really, the the downside won't feel as bad to you. So that that's a good use for it. 
maybe like Afara is another deck that might have might be able to utilize this effectively because Afara decks typically run things like White Mane Lion or Stone Cloaker. Those are like flash creatures that can bounce themselves back to your hand. So if you want to just so just the idea of like having moderation and Afara on the battlefield and having a, a White Mane Lion in your hand is like you're drawing two cards uh, on each opponent's turn, which just seems pretty darn good to me. No, I, I agree with that. The the one thing about this card is that a lot of times in decks that want to cast instants or like cards on other people's turns, that's like a counter spell. And to be fair, like countering a spell and drawing a card is pretty big. That's pretty busted. But not being able to win like a counter war is a pretty big downside at the same time. I do think that this is probably going to be decent enough in those reactive white blue x lists but it's it's such a weird card this is like a really funny way to put whenever you cast a spell draw a card on a fair magic card <laughs> it's so funny yeah i think it's a neat card that definitely adds to the format mm-hmm. this next card there's a lot of discussion in our discord about it and I, i'm still not sure how i feel about it but can, can i read them off and you get into them go for it so this is goblin anarchomancer this is a 2-2 Goblin Shaman for 2 mana, red-green. So just a, a little bear. Each spell you cast that's red or green costs one generic less to cast. That, that's it. Looking at this uh, this card makes me want to identify some green-red decks that cast a lot of spells in one turn. That's how you're going to maximize the benefit from this guy. Um, so Naeth of the Dire Hunt was one thing I thought of. Like... There's a lot of two mana uh, fight spells, and of course, like with Naeth giving you cards back every time you cast a, anytime one of your creature fights. This it, the deck kind of incentivizes like casting a whole bunch of fight spells or like as many fight spells as you can to just like kill your opponent's creatures, draw cards, get value. So that's one place it might make sense. And then another deck I thought of was Kalamax, but you have a bit more experience in that with that deck, so maybe you can tell us. If you think it'll be good there. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, this is something I've learned about Calamax. Like, recently, I was able to play games in person um, because me and some friends are all vaccinated now, which is that that was great, felt great, was amazing. And some other people have made Calamax lists. And I feel like I kind of understand how, like, Muldrotha players <laughs> feel now, where, like, it's a pretty popular commander, but, like, people build them different ways. So I've the Calamax list that I have seen now that weren't mine, I think this would be great. I think that this does enough to lower the mana cost of spells because people were playing a lot of spells that had a lot of generic costs. They were a little bit more expensive. They weren't looking to like maximize the doubling of a spell on each player's turn, more so than like cast a spell that does a little bit more like once or twice every turn, which is not the way I built mine. So in my Calamax list, there's a lot of just like one blue pip, two red pips, two blue pips, green pip, blue pip, like a lot of very hungry color of mana requirements. But I do actually think that in other Calamax lists, this is going to be pretty good if you're trying to cast spells that are like two in a green, like one in a green to fight something, like two in a red to do something else or like loot or something like that. So um, yeah, I think that actually is a pretty good assessment. If you have a Calamax list and you find you find that 
you have a lot of generic in the cost of your spells because I there's I don't know it's just there's so many ways to build that dinosaur. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I I am glad that you kind of got into this because this is an effect that can generate a lot of mana in the right place, and it's in the set to facilitate the green red storm mechanic that is kind of the limited archetype, and that just means that it's not something that we really have so i'm still looking for places to play it i think your naith suggestion is pretty cool yeah if you all have ideas for uh, other green red commanders that really want to cast a lot of spells in the same turn please let us know but with that uh i want to move on to three um three cards that all kind of fit into the same archetypes and and those are barbed spike batterbone and nettle cyst so barbed spike is one in a white for an artifact equipment when it enters the battlefield create a 1-1 colorless thopter artifact creature token with flying then attach barbed spike to it equipped creature gets plus one plus O, and it has equipped two batterbone is two mana for an artifact equipment with living weapon so when it enters the battlefield you create a zero zero black phyrexian germ creature token and attach it to it uh, and then equipped creature gets plus one plus one and has vigilance and lifelink. Equip five. And finally, nettle cyst is three mana for an artifact equipment. It has living weapon, and equipped creature gets plus one plus one for each artifact and or enchantment you control. Equip two. So I've talked before about Sir Gwyn and Akiri 2.0 lists that use equipment that generate their own creatures so you can like more easily assemble your card-producing units. Um, Sir Gwyn and Akiri both basically allow you to draw cards when you attack with equipped creatures. So normally that would require you to play both a creature and an equipment and then slam them together in order to start drawing cards. But if you, you know, run cards like Barb Spike or these Living Weapon cards, uh, you're able to like commit fewer cards to the board and use up fewer deck slots in order to like make your card drawing units. So, and and worth noting that like all of these are very very cheap. A lot of living weapon creatures because they um because they like come with a creature and they get that extra bonus. They tend to be pretty expensive. A lot of them are you know four five mana. So the fact that these all are, you know, two and three mana, I think it's just a lot easier to sort of like curve out like barbed spike into a Kiri, draw a card immediately, next turn equip a Kiri, draw two cards. Um, that's a lot simpler than trying to, uh, well, than a lot of the other options available. So I, I like these cards, especially if you're doing a budget list because so many, it, like it's still valid to go the other route and play both creatures, like good creatures and good equipment, and then smash them together. But a couple problems with that is that it's just a lot more mana intensive to do it. If you play like a good two drop, like a Grand Abolisher, and then like a sword, and then equip it, you've spent seven mana to produce a card producing unit in your Akiri deck or your Sir Gwyn deck. Um, so it's a, kind of inefficient. And then a lot of the the best, like, generically good equipment are just wildly expensive um well i'm just gonna really quickly check that price <laughs> on sword of fire and ice right now mm-hmm. let's see 
Uh, yep, that's a cool fifty bucks. Um, <laughs> so like these are so like barbed spike, batterbone, nettle cyst, the other living weapon type cards. Um, you know these are also going to be very a, a better option from a budget perspective. Mm-hmm. I really don't have much to add to that. I think you you hit the nail on the head. Uh, well, with that, do you want to move on to the next card? Yeah. So this next card is Ornithopter of Paradise. So this is a two-mana artifact creature, Thopter. It's a 0-2 with flying, and it has tap, add one mana of any color. This I, I'm actually pretty into this. There's just like a surprising number of lists, like a lot, honestly, a lot of them on a white, where I've wanted another two-mana like rock or mana dork or mana mirror or something like that mana mirror that made a color of mana and this kind of just does that and i'm here for it so to me this makes a lot of sense in like arkham dagson it's both uh you know because you can play it on turn two and then uh, accelerate yourself into arkham on turn three and then it's an artifact creature that arkham dagson can then sacrifice to get you your thrumming stone or whatever you're doing. So it's going to be good there. Uh, in low shield, it's one of the better mana dork artifacts. Uh, so it'll help you draw a card and then accelerate you later on. Uh, and then I also really, really like it in the Plarg and Augusta mana dork deck. So mm-hmm. Augusta makes it so that whenever you attack with a creature, you get to uh, untap and then tap as many of your creatures as you like. So that's really good when you have a bunch of mana dorks and you can just kind of like double your dork mana production. Uh, so this is one of the best mana dorks for that deck. Yeah, I think it's one of the best mana dorks in a lot of lists now, just the fact that it's colorless. And I I think there's kind of the argument of like homogeneity over time when they print cards like this. But I think if it's a mana dork, like I don't, I don't care. <laughs> it's not it's not like I feel bad playing like a Felwar stone or honestly even like a arcane signet in my list because they let me cast like my really cool big spells like playing a playing a ornithopter of paradise is going to let me cast like my I don't know what's a cool card we talked about uh, my goblin trap runner the next turn sure. you know like <laughs> like and that's the card I'm excited to play so I, I don't actually mind when mana is just good and generically useful like this I think that I think that's kind of better for the format even though like technically yes lists have the same card there like I don't get upset when I see someone playing like an is it signet for the like 300th time you know it's like I get upset when someone casts a big stupid spell or like sunders at the end of my turn or something, you know, like, yeah, yeah. like those are the things that really troll me. And, and the things that really get me upset are like when I see the same good stuff cards over and over again, not when I see people being able to cast their spells. Definitely. And we only got one more card to, well, I guess oh, actually I lied. A couple more. <laughs> we have uh, a couple more. So this next guy has a very friendly face. This is, Sojourner's Companion. This is a four mana. Sorry. This is a four four salamander, an artifact creature for seven mana, but it has affinity for artifacts, so it's probably not actually going to cost you seven. And it also has artifact land cycling two. And that's it. 
he's just a he's just a four four. He's a, a mirror enforcer, but with artifact land cycling. And you know what? That's fine. <laughs> I think that's cool. That those decks need a little a little something to work in commander. Yeah. So um, the other week I was kind of complaining that there's only so many um, lands with indestructible, but this is kind of just like another copy of one of your artifact dual lands with indestructible from Modern Horizons Two. If you're planning on building around those, uh, kind of as I am. And you're you want to build like a mana base that's indestructible, so you can break the symmetry on mass land destruction. Then this is seems like an easy inclusion in those types of lists. Yeah, this is my greatest fears come to pass. <laughs> I, I mean, I think that is a very cool list, and I think we're going to post. Do, do you want to post this list in the the show notes? Yes. Yeah. Go ahead and post it, and uh, we'll include this in the episode description. Yeah. So we'll definitely have a list to this uh, deck in the episode description. And uh, you'll also get to look at this guy's friendly little face, this little Lexodal, just like staring, staring back at you. He's probably pretty big because he's a four four. But yeah. uh, right before you like send him straight to hell and discard him. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Right, right into the the bone zone you go. Yeah. So this next card is also an artifact, and it is called Soul Talisman. It has no mana cost, but it has suspend three for a generic mana. So you pay one generic, uh, exile with three time counters on it. Guess what it does? Uh, I'll tell you. It says tap at two colorless mana. The uh, soul talisman. You get the reference. <laughs> As we mentioned earlier with the the bribery variant, this just makes a lot of sense in the first sliver in Yidris because it's an artifact. You can run it in Ozgear, assuming you've got enough like discard outlets. Uh, so if you're running like you know the rummaging spells in Ozgear, you can dump it to your graveyard and then reanimate it with him and get two soul talismans on the battlefield. Um, Mm -hmm. Any other uh, uses for this card? Any other ways you think it might be good? Um, Yeah, I mean, I actually think that if you have a deck that's running all the like trash for treasure variants, that this is probably fine. Uh, It turns like a random treasure or uh some other random artifact you had into a soul talisman like a, a free soul ring with like a goblin welder goblin engineer uh duretti a 1.0 you know like a bunch of these cards that recycle artifacts from the graveyard so i, th- I think that's fine i just really don't think if you're trying to suspend this that it's gonna go well for you much like any of the other suspend cards that uh that we talked about I agree on that. Um, so now we only have one more card, and we're going to do some like feelings and predictions. So if you want to, if you want to stick around for that, then uh, this is the warning. It's going to get going to get personal. <laughs> but uh, the, we have one more card. Uh, this is Power Depot. It's an artifact land. It enters the battlefield tapped. It taps for a colorless, and it has tap. Add one mana of any color. Spend this mana only to cast artifact spells or activate abilities of artifacts. And it has modular one. Obviously, a land that enters a battlefield tap, that's a little bit painful. Um, but because it's an artifact, there's some decks where it's still basically going to produce mana on that first turn. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking like uh, Emery, Lurker of the Lock. You know, she costs one less for each artifact you control. So playing it is like sort of like just playing an island uh, and that it will like uh, allow you to cast her. Um, 
Sahili, the, the Gifted, one of her activations uh, makes it so the next spell you cast this turn costs one less for each, for each artifact you control. So like getting artifacts into your mana base uh, will is just like an easy way to buff that ability. And then mm-hmm. like there's other decks where it's just going to have additional benefits. Like if you're running a, a Duretti Scrap Savant list, then this is just like sack fodder to get back your Mind Slaver or whatever you're doing. By virtue of the fact that it's in artifact land, it's probably fine for certain lists. And then I do like that it's perfect fixing for these artifacts that they went and called out like abilities of artifacts as well as casting them, which is really cool. And the add a color of mana. So I activate your chitter spitter. Yeah. (laughs) Activate your chitter spitter, cast your, uh, your red or blue or green or whatever artifact you might have that they've been printing so many of uh, these last few years. So, um, which isn't a bad thing, but is, uh, I don't know. I just like, I'm, I'm appreciative that they put the functionality there. So I do get to play with whatever artifacts I want. Mm-hmm. And that kind of is it. That's, that's modern horizons too, everybody. Yeah. We did it. You did set. it. Yeah. There's just so much. And there, there's a few things we didn't talk about. We obviously don't talk about reprints. Um, we could do that. Uh, we could do an episode about like reprints or something i don't know that would get pretty dark i feel like <laughs> we, maybe we shouldn't do that um but we we don't talk about reprints and we don't talk about other things but like overall like just looking at the cards in the set it's sweet it is so cool so i'm excited to finally get my hands on some of these things yeah i agree i think this is uh i mean it's great to just get like so much power concentrated in the set in standard sets there's less to talk about it's just harder to break into the format but here there, there's so much going on and there's also just like a lot of incidental stuff happening like the the addition of the phyrexian creature type like doing all this phyrexian errata that's we're gonna have an episode entirely devoted to that and like the, how that's going to impact the format the fact that they are specifically trying to support different archetypes that's great because it means that those archetypes become more viable in commander as well very very exciting set and i can't wait for the next modern horizons yeah these sets are just always bangers so i second that i'm just always excited for these and just seeing the cool weird designs that they end up giving us so i (laughs) we're gonna get to our predictions and i did i think the worst i've ever done (laughs) on the (laughs) prediction so i didn't do great so it's not like yeah, you're betting 500 on it, which is which is a lot. You know, that's not <laughs> that's not bad. But yeah, Strixhaven, our predictions. It's been a few months, and we're we're checking in to see how we did. And it was a weird set. There's a lot of cards that are like role players more so than generically good. There's mm-hmm. a lot of archetypes it was trying to like set up that didn't necessarily have the support that they need but yeah do you want to get into (laughs) do you want to get into yours and i'll get into mine sure i guess as i go i'll say like which ones ended up being correct so first let me explain exactly what we're looking for here and like what how we measure success so basically if you rank all of the strixhaven cards um, on edh rec by the number of decks that are using them uh, we are looking to get the top 10 and we've have done a little bit of like smushing together. Like we didn't individually name the snarls or the campuses or anything that's like a land cycle, 
But other than that, everything's individual, and we're, we're looking to, to determine what the top cards in are going to be on EDH rec. So my first guess was that Resculpt was going to be in the top cards, and, and that was correct. And my next was Solve the Equation, because it's just like an easy-to-use tutor. It's cheap. That was also correct. I thought that Reduce to Memory, the lesson that lets you... Um, that's three mana for a sorcery, exile target non-land permanent, and its controller creates a 3-2 spirit. Uh, I thought that would be would see more adoption. Um, it's just like a really good universal answer. In most decks, it's better than a Banishing Light, um, yeah. but that did not make it into the top 10. I also thought that Semester's End was going to see more play. Um, that's the like big blink effect for all your guys. That did not end up being in the top 10. Uh, I guessed Archmage Emeritus. This is the the two blue blue guy with Magecraft uh, draw card. He was in the top 10. Uh, I guessed Rowan Scholar of Sparks, but that did not end up being the case. Um, I guessed the Snarls, and they were in the top 10. I guessed the Campuses, and they were not. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Stormkiln Artist, which is the Magecraft Create a Treasure. I thought that would be in the top 10, and it was. And then finally, I guessed Decisive Denial, which is the Quandrix um, sort of like negate mana leak or fight spell at instant speed. Uh, but that was not in the top 10. Yes, so mine, uh, sadly, I only I only got three of them. We plot. So mine was Pilgrim of the Ages. This is the three drop that gets a planes to your hand and you can put it back in your hand for six when it's in your graveyard. So you can kind of keep it going. It's also a spirit. I just figured... It had enough going that people would play it. Uh, they are they are not. <laughs> <laughs> the next one was Archmage Emeritus, which, as you heard, made it in. Rowan and Will, which did not make it in. Solve the Equation, which did. Resculpt, which did. Uh, the new Liliana, I figured that enough people, like it did enough things that would be exciting enough. And she's not even in the top 20 <laughs> cards <laughs> in this set, which is insane. Sedgemore, which is a higher, like more played card than she is, which I don't know. I guess it just kind of blows my mind, but whatever. Um, Witherbloom Apprentice, which if you look at the top 15, he made it, but mm-hmm. he didn't make it into the top 10. The campuses, which yeah, just didn't rip apart, which again, it's in the top, top 15. It's the, it's the, 11th card <laughs> or something like that like it's it's close to the top 10 so that didn't quite make it rip apart is the the three mana or the two mana deal three to a creature or blow up an artifact or enchantment oh sorry deal three to a creature or planeswalker or destroy an artifact or enchantment for two mana uh, but it's a sorcery i just was like this does so many things this is probably worth it but it it uh i was almost right and then Contorius, which is just not there. I just figured that Red White was getting enough cool new stuff that it would be a cool way to generate tokens and do something interesting in Red White. And no one, <laughs> no one but me cared. So <laughs> um, that's where we're at with that. Definitely interesting. Do we have the the actual top ten that we can read off? Oh, we do. Can I read these guys off? Yes, go for it. Yeah. So the actual top ten is pretty interesting so the number one is stormkiln artist um does not surprise me that card is awesome uh the number two is archmage emeritus which also does not surprise me that card is great number three is wandering archaic which i do like a lot but just did not expect to be that popular this is the five mana four four when your opponents cast 
um, instance and sorceries, uh, they have to pay two more or you get a copy too. So basically puts a tax on it. It has a backside. I'm not going to read it. It's <laughs> You're never going to cast it. Um, number four was solve the equation. That's the other one that me and Nick got. Uh, number five is fracture. So fracture is an instant white, black, destroy target artifact, enchantment, or planeswalker. Apparently people were like, yeah, give me some of that. So they picked it up pretty big. Number six is the one that I think surprises me the most out of all of these. It's Culling Ritual. Mm -hmm. This is four mana sorcery, two black green. Destroy each non-land permanent with mana value two or less. Add black or green for each permanent destroyed this way. So, I mean, I've heard other people talk about this. I've heard other podcasts talk about this. And they all love it. They all are like, yeah, it blows up a bunch of stuff and refunds itself. Which, like... I don't know. It's probably just the meta that we play in where like this is not yeah, usually. I, I think in our review, we identified that it was good, but I thought it was more of a CEDH thing. Um, mm-hmm. Just because I think in a regular game of Commander, like it's just going to miss so many high impact things. And if you're in a more casual meta, then it's it might not hit much at all. So... I, I definitely think if you're in a meta that has like a low CMC or low average mana value, a lot of, you know, mana dorks and very cheap mana rocks, then it's very good there. Yeah. But I just didn't think that that was going to be the case for the format at large when I was yeah. putting together my predictions. Yeah, this is it, it really has surprised me that this is here. The next three do not surprise me at all. The next ones are Plum the Forbidden. So this is the black instant. It's one in a black. And as an additional cost, you can sacrifice any number of creatures. Uh, when you do, you copy the spell for each creature you sacrificed. And it says, draw a card and lose life. So this card is is awesome. This card does so much work in so many lists. I am not surprised to see it here. And it's kind of like hindsight is twenty twenty, but I really do feel like I should have <laughs> identified this a little bit higher than I did because I was playing with this a lot and loved it, but... I guess I didn't I didn't trust my heart on that. The snarls are next. They are just mana fixing and they're a budget option for mana fixing, so that makes sense. Mortality Spear is next. I can see why it's popular, but just didn't expect it. This is the four mana instant, two black green, destroy target non-land permanent. The spell costs two less to cast if you gain life this turn, so it's just a better assassin's trophy <laughs> mm-hmm. if you can gain life. So yeah, I can see how that's appealing. And the last one is Resculpt, which is the uh, one that me and Nick uh, correctly identified would be probably a format staple. <laughs> <laughs> and it looks like it is. Looks like it's being that. Yeah. So some of the things that like surprised me the most, I was surprised by Plum the Forbidden. You know, I've, I've played with the card. It's fine. But mm. I, I mean, it's very good at getting Magecraft triggers. But there's also things like uh, Pact of the Serpent uh, or even cards like you know vampiric rights or i just think there's a lot of ways to draw cards off of your creatures in black a lot of which like either don't require you to sacrifice it or um you know can be used over multiple turns rather than having to be done all at once um yeah (laughs) i I don't know i'm uh still a little surprised at that one but uh, it's fine fracture was an interesting one because it's definitely an upgrade over disenchant, but I mean, I guess like maybe this is just sort of more evidence in favor of what we always say that like 
it sucks that white doesn't have more options for disenchant and maybe people are are flocking to fracture because it's just another option when there are so few and then wandering archaic i don't get it <laughs> i don't i don't like that card i think it's just people's obsession with like taxing like people love taxing cards and you know if it works for them uh that's great I've definitely won a lot of drafts with that card. It's very good in draft, but I don't know. It just seems like I understand that it can be good. It just seems like if your opponents are playing correctly, (laughs) it's not that good. But maybe that's the problem. Maybe we play with a lot of people who have just been playing for a long time and know how to play around a wandering archaic. I mean, it just it costs five mana. Um and even with the tax, like, you know, most of the removal that's going to be aimed at it is like one to two mana. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. You play your five mana threat and then they answer it with a four mana doom blade. Um, yeah. They're still up on mana. Yeah. Or if they can like just doom blade it and then you aim the copy at something that isn't theirs. It still seems like a lot better for your opponent than it is for you. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, I definitely agree with that. So, I mean, you know, people are people are having fun with it. So, um yeah. maybe we really are like discounting the uh explore the vast lands. Maybe that's really what No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> oh yeah, I will I will push back on when you said that nobody will ever cast that because somebody did cast that against us when we were playing Brawl and we like drew the counter spell we needed to win the game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like they yeah, I just don't even understand because it's it gives you a land and or instant and sorcery so you can get two cards off of it and i remember that you got two cards and they got one (laughs) (laughs) which Uh, is bad feels bad yep yep good times good times Um, all right one last thing i want to say about the strixhaven like top 10 is mortality spear it makes sense to me because like utter end sees so much play but i just i I just don't know if it's that good I, i i don't think you're going to be getting life enough for it to like reliably be the cheap mode and i don't like utter end at four so anyway that's the last thing i had to say is there anything else you want to say about the the top strict saving cards no just that i i have enjoyed the set not as much as i thought i would but it did introduce some new archetypes mainly like a spell reanimator type of deal mm-hmm. which is cool and interesting the c21 decks were all for the most part, pretty cool. Introduce some really cool new cards. So I think people will look back at Strixhaven fondly because I definitely do. But do you, I mean, they're definitely going to look at Modern Horizons too fondly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, I'm really excited to get into our predictions so that people at home can also play along too. Uh, well, I will jump into this. Um, and man, this is a tough set to predict oh my- for. God, yeah. Because there's so many weird cards, and we're doing this, you know, still several weeks out from release. So um, pre-order prices are at their highest. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's really, and of course, like, you know, if if our predictions related to Vorinclex uh, are any indicator, like, you really need to consider the price of a card when thinking about it's how widely it's going to be adopted in EDH. Um, so like half the. I just ended up like biting the bullet and I'll just like take the pain here. But half the cards on my list are just like, you know, over $20 for their pre-order price. (laughs) Yeah. But they're they're just like so obviously format staples that I can't not. 
feel like I can't not include them on my list. I mean, yeah, bef- before you get going into your list, like I kind of had the same thing. I made a list uh, and my list was like 13, 14 cards is really hard to narrow it down. And I'm like, you know what? I should check like what actually is commanding a high price before I like finalize this. And it's like, oh, <laughs> there's like a few dozen cards with a price over $20 in this mm-hmm. set right now. Like yep. this is a, uh, this is a bad sign. So it was like, Oh, I very obviously can't just use like monetary investment as a gauge for interest this time around. So yeah. Do you want to get into your list? Sure. Um, number one is tireless provisioner. It's an uncommon, it's similar to Lotus Cobra, which is powerful and popular a lot of people have landfall decks, especially since we so recently revisited Zendikar. Uh, I think that's a, an, an easy guess. Number two is I'm, I'm lumping all the artifact duels together. Uh, the least played artifact land still sees play in over 10,000 decks on EDH rec. Uh, these do come into play tapped, but they also fix your mana and they're really, really resistant to um, artifact destruction. So I think these are going to see a lot of play. I've also got Unmarked Grave. This is the like two mana uh, sorcery and tomb, but only for non-legendary cards. Uh, and tomb sees play in twenty-five thousand decks on EDH rec, and I think for a lot of decks, um, this is I mean, this is almost as good. I don't know if uh, the majority of entombs are for legendary creatures. I think yeah. a lot of the times, just like getting a combo piece that you can easily recur is probably going to be pretty good. Yeah. Um, Timeless Witness is just Eternal Witness for one more mana. Uh, I think it's still going to be good at four, and it also has that Eternalize option, which could be relevant sometimes. Young Necromancer is the three black-black, two-three human warlock um, that, you know, when it enters the battlefield, you can exile two cards from your graveyard. When you do, you can return a creature from your graveyard to the battlefield. It's cheap. I mean, it's it's an uncommon. It is easy value. There's a lot of like you know blink decks uh, that you can use it. There's a lot of ways to like make use of it more than just like the the one shot effect. Uh, and it also has combo potential if you have like a greater good or an altar of dementia. You can just mill your entire deck by reanimating it to itself over and over thanks to that. Uh, reflexive trigger i believe it's called mm-hmm. um and then just like win with the thoughts oracle so it has combo potential it's cheap it's useful i think it's going to see some wide adoption and then the next five are just like you know crazy expensive but whatever they're, they're just too good not to mention versus saga it's you know taps for one the first couple turns and then just turns into a soul ring or a mana crypt so it's very good. Esper Sentinel is the one mana, one one uh, artifact creature, human soldier, human soldier. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's basically the uh, Ristic Study, but only for the first non-creature your opponents cast. And if you increase its power, then the the tax that your opponents are required to pay increases. Like white is so starred for card draw that people are just going to run this card, uh, even though it's worse in a couple ways than Ristic Study. Um, solitude is the next one. That's the like has the the I guess like forced plowshares. You know, e- even just like the base case of like three white white flash swords to plowshares on a creature 
is a lot lot better than like most white creatures like like what's the next best thing duplicant yeah <laughs> um and like beyond that like luminate primordial it's it's just like so much better in terms of removal on creatures than like any other white card except maybe like palace jailer but but no it's it's got flash it's so it's very very good and then it has that alternate mode of like well i do not want to lose to this kiki jiki combo right now so yeah i'll pitch two cards so i think that's clearly uh gonna be a format staple Yevamaya cradle of growth the green urborg urborg is very good very widely played this is just very easy fixing for any deck that's running green in any capacity. There, there's some like ways to get a little bit more value from having more forests. And then Sword of Hearth and Home is the next member in the sword cycle. It's the white-green one that ramps you and blinks. So the blink effect is going to be good pretty much wherever Conjurer's Closet is good. And then the ramp effect gives that option to a lot of colors that don't Pretty much the non-green colors are going to be interested in that. And it's a great, great tool for white decks because they're able to tutor out equipment pretty easily. And so it's like a tutorable uh, link engine or ramp engine. So I think it's just fantastic for those types of white decks. But what are your predictions? What do you think out of Modern Horizons 2 is going to see the most play on EDA track? So I try to make a list before I see Nick's list, and we always end up with a few that are the same, but I always try to be a little bit different just to cover bases. So the biggest problem, as we kind of mentioned earlier, is that they're supporting a lot of archetypes, and I wasn't quite sure which one of the cards from the archetypes to say, so I'm kind of going to say some with caveats (laughs) as we go through, and I have some honorable mentions um, that I want to bring up, not to like hedge my bets, but to be like hey it would not surprise me if this became popular not that i think it's going to be in the top 10 but like this is something that i could imagine people playing so my first one is ignoble hierarch um, noble hierarch is played in just so many lists in commander that i can't imagine ignoble hierarch being played in less and something that ignoble hierarch has going for it is that when you don't need a one drop it's still like a one one goblin that you can sack to things because you're in red and black <laughs> mm-hmm. so that seems pretty good to me being able to ramp out your commander or something cool and big and then eating it later is something that Bant doesn't do quite as well the other one so this is my first caveat i'm going to say sanctum weaver but i also think sithis goes here uh, sithis is the enchantress because they are both the enchantress cards <laughs> you know like <laughs> Like, this is an archetype that a lot of people play, a lot of people like. It's pretty popular. Sanctum Weaver is just very, very powerful in the, the Enchantress list, so that's the reason I'm putting it up first. It doesn't have a good comparison point, but I just can't imagine green Enchantress lists not playing it because it triggers your Enchantress, makes a bunch of mana. And then Sithis is just, like, an Enchantress herself. So an Enchantress that triggers Enchantresses. Just seems like they both fit, but... I'm going to say Sanctum Weaver here. Uh, Sword of Hearth and Home. This is one of the better swords we've gotten. I know it's a ton of money, but that hasn't really stopped some of the other swords from just being popular. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So I'm going to say that this is in my top 10. Urza Saga. I know this was in your list too, and it is just, it's so good and it's so expensive. So 
we'll see if it gets there. My guess is that it gets there even though it is expensive in the same way that some other expensive cards from the old Modern Horizons did. But, you know, we'll find out. Esper Sentinel, this is just a mono-white staple. And, <laughs> again, it's expensive, but it doesn't stop, like, smothering tithe and stuff, you know? So, mm-hmm. so uh, well... Uh, Dothi Voidwalker. This is a two mana leyline of the void with more text. It's recurrable. It uh, gets you value. It's unblockable if your commander cares about that. I just, I think this is going to be played. I know it's going to be good in modern, but I also think it'll be good in commander. Um, this is another caveat one. I'm going to say unmarked grave for the same reasons that you said, and I actually didn't realize you had that on your list <laughs> <laughs> because Entomb is just like so good and so. Uh, ubiquitous in black graveyard decks but i'm also going to say persist as like a budget version of reanimate and it just is the case now that like reanimate and a lot of the black spells that do that like the the cheapest reanimate right now is the jumpstart one which is about 750 but all the other ones are 15 bucks or more like necromancy is yeah no necromancy is about 15 bucks it seems like most of the black reanimate spells that are old are pushing 15 bucks now and if persist is cheaper than that you know it still gets back your it that betrays just as good so these are both reanimator cards i'm gonna say unmarked grave but it would not surprise me if persist makes it on here too tireless provisioner holy cow that's so many manas and then i'm gonna say damn not as like a an expletive but as a card because <laughs> <laughs> that card is bonkers it blow something up if you need a two mana spell and it blows everything up if you need a four mana spell i know the color is more restrictive than damnation or wrath of god but that didn't stop like the ultimatums from being really heavily played so Mm -hmm. i don't think it's going to stop damn in the same way that's that's my guess here and then the last one on my top 10 is yavamaya cradle of growth just because i think people are going to want to play with the splashy new cool thing even though it doesn't do as many cool things as uh urborg does Mm -hmm. (laughs) it still does cool things there are a lot of cards that reference forests so you can make some shenanigans happen but they're nowhere near as powerful as urborgs um yeah which is whatever that's true i I agree with a lot of those picks and can't wait to see how it turns out which we will Mm -hmm. do when we uh finish up our set review for the DD set coming out this summer yes so Stay tuned for that. In the meantime, I hope you enjoy your Modern Horizons 2 pre-release. And please let us know if uh, you think there's any cards we missed or any alternative takes on some of these cards. Mm-hmm. Uh, or cards you're excited about. Yes, please do. Um, really want to hear all the different ways that Modern Horizons 2 is going to impact the format. But uh, with that, I think we're going to wrap it up here. I want to give a brief thank you to our Patreon patrons. They are Gustav, Ryan, Mark, Amon, Addison, Mason, Rick, Laser, Raphael, Charlotte, The White Clays, Hannah, Anthony, Andy, Dylan, James, Justin, Logan, Roger, Evan, Bryce, Dylan, Benjamin, Jamie, Matthew, Jason, Kyle, Brandon, Kaidel, Jeremy, Russell, Troy, Dylan, Walter, Leo, Ian, John, John, Tom, Kevin, Roxanne, Brian, and Charles. Thank you all for supporting the show. And if you're not currently a Patreon patron but would like to become one, please check us out at patreon.com slash commander theory. Thanks for listening. Woo! Hello, theorists. It is Zach jumping in at the end of the episode just to say I am sorry. The last few weeks have been coming out pretty late. This is a labor of love for me and Nick, but unfortunately what that means is that we have a lot of other stuff in our lives that we are trying to take care of. So sometimes those those get in the way a little bit, and they definitely have these last few weeks. So 
I'm really here to say sorry. We're going to keep trying to get these out on Thursdays. I don't think there will be too many problems in the coming weeks. But if Thursday afternoon comes around and you uh, you aren't getting what you need, the, that good, good commander fix, then uh, just know that we, we tried <laughs> and uh, it'll be out as soon as possible. So thank you so much for being patient and thank you to all of our patrons. And honestly, this is a good time to just show one more time for our Patreon. Uh, I'm constantly blown away by the creativity, the cool conversations that happen there, the insights that everyone inside of our Discord brings. I think one of the things that makes me and Nick fairly successful is that we don't just use our own experience. We try to gather from as many people as we can and whoever will talk to us. So again, if you want to join the Discord, uh, that's it's cheap, it's easy. You just go into the first level on our Patreon. Uh, it's just a dollar a month right now, and you'll get access to whatever we're thinking about and whatever everyone else is thinking about. And it's just such a nice, good community and honestly makes doing this completely worth it. So with all that said, I'm sorry. Uh, episodes will release on Thursday. And I thank you all for sticking with us. Have a good Modern Horizons and uh, I will see you on the horizon. That's really cheesy, but I'll talk to you all later. Bye. If any of you theorists want to get in touch with us, I am at Commander Theory on Twitter and Tumblr, and Zach is at Fat Bartleby on Twitter. Our theme song is Lincoln Continental by Entropy, and you can check him out on SoundCloud. Until next time, we're going back to the drawing board.